you can see just how uh, many kids we have in this church by how empty it feels when the kids all go out to, to Sunday school. Can't, it feels a lot empty, but you know what? I love how many families we have at this church. That is just such a blessing, and I am so thankful for that. Today, we have a special treat. We have gone through series in which we have examined letters of Paul to the church. We have gone through series where we have seen Jesus as he has come and done his ministry. And we have taken... Okay, it was a long time, three different series to work our way through the book of Genesis. We have looked at the beginnings, as we saw in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, how God made the world, how he made everything to be good, to be very good, and how everything went wrong so quickly. We saw essentially the setting for the rest of the Bible laid out in just 11 chapters, And then we saw the hint of what God was going to do as he was speaking to this one man, Abraham, and how God worked in his life and he showed himself to be true. And God developed this faith of Abraham so that Abraham became known as he is known today in three separate religions, Islam and Judaism and Christianity, all acknowledge Abraham as a man of great faith. And yet, the Bible clearly shows that Abraham wasn't really that great of a guy. He did some pretty messed up things over his life. Things that you and I would certainly never do, I hope. Like telling another ruler that your wife is your sister so that the ruler can marry her and not kill you. I don't know. Different world then, but still, this is Abraham. The man of faith. He wasn't always a great man of faith. Why was he known as that then? Because God showed himself to be faithful to all of his promises. Yes? There is a blue dial in the, on the soundboard in the back. They, on the soundboard. This is too loud in the gym. There's a soundboard on the right. Over here. No, I wouldn't expect you to know that. All right. Where was I? Anyone know where I was? Soundboard. No, I wasn't at the soundboard. That doesn't have any place in my message, you guys. Abraham. We've seen God work through the beginnings. We've seen God work through Abraham. And then we've seen God continue to hold true to his promises through what he said to the children of Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, to Judah, and Joseph, the four of the major founding fathers of Israel that most of Israel had in common. And now you have a very special treat because we get to work through the story of Exodus. We get through what God does when a man becomes a family, becomes a nation. Israel is incredibly important through the scripture. Many of you who have had Bibles or who have Bibles of your own that you have had for a number of years will probably notice that the first quarter of your book is probably really well worn and the first three quarters of your book, except for maybe the first 16th, perhaps, tend to be pretty fresh and used, don't they? 
Most of us don't necessarily read very much in the Old Testament. And yet, the Old Testament is three quarters of the Bible. One of the reasons why it's such a difficult thing for us is because many of us haven't been properly introduced to Israel. Many of us struggle to know what God has done through this people and what he is planning on doing through them still. After all, not only is Israel found in the Old Testament, so many of Paul's letters and epistles are written concerning Israel and how the church and believers relate to Israel and to the law of Israel, the constitution of Israel, the law of Moses. And if we want to understand what God is doing through this nation, we need to understand how God has worked through Israel in the past. So, I think it's time for us to have a formal introduction to the nation of Israel. Now, let's pick up with Genesis, no, Genesis, Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 1, which says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is, Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. So, this is Israel. Everyone say hello. Hello. Ah, there you go. This is a nation that God is going to be dealing with one of the primary movers and shakers of the Bible. And we are finally getting introduced to them. They had lived in Canaan, for those of you who don't remember the end of Genesis. They were living in once what we know today as Israel slash Palestine, whatever you want to call it. They were living in that land for a while. But then there was a severe famine, a drought that lasted for seven years. Water was drying up. Crops were dying, and when you are a family of shepherds that have animals, flocks and flocks and herds and herds of animals, and there's no rain, you can't go and keep these animals alive when you're living in a land where the grass only grows if the rain falls on it. And so, luckily for them, the brothers had sold off one of their own, down into Egypt, and that guy eventually became the second in command because he was so great and so wise and he had a solution to the drought for that country. And so when this family comes in, they find, oh, hey, our long-lost brother that we tried to kill and sell into slavery is, is here. And by his kindness and his grace, the family found that they had a place to move to. They were given a land called Goshen doesn't mean anything that I know of. It's just a really nice land for for farming because it's watered not by the rain, but by the river Nile when it overflows its banks and it waters the grounds. So the grass actually grows there and is a really nice place to be. But just before they uh, and and they find that this is a really great place to to live and to stay. And some of the family 
as they live there for multiple generations, they say, maybe this is the place where we're going to be for a long time. Maybe we aren't supposed to be living in that other land of Canaan. Maybe Egypt is going to be our home. But just before Joseph dies, Joseph, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, just before he dies, he talks to his children, his grandchildren, and everyone who will listen. And he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. Oof, that's old. And the Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. You see, they moved to this land of Egypt, and they thought, maybe this is going to be the place where God wants us to be. But you see, even when times are good, even when things are going well, it's important for us to know that God might have plans that we don't understand, that don't make any sense to us. You might look at your life right now and think, oh, hey, where I'm at right now is going pretty well. God's probably just going to leave me here for the rest of my life, and things are going to be going pretty well, aren't they? But we need to understand at those points that God knows what his plans are. And there will come times in your life where things will get turned on their head. Things will not always feel like they are making sense the way that they do right now. But we need to live in full expectation that God knows exactly what He is doing. He knows exactly the plan that He has for you. And even if your life gets thrown into turmoil at a later point in time, it's important for us to decide right now, as Joseph did all those years before the story of Exodus began, we need to know that God will not be surprised. He will not be caught off guard. He knows exactly what he's doing. Why was Joseph able to say what was going on? Because God had so many years ago spoken to his great-grandfather Abraham and made a promise to him. Spoiler alert. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant promise to Abraham. And God says to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. How could that have been predicted? How could God have known so far ahead? At the time of Abraham, that was not 400 years. That was about 500 years before 
they would be freed because there were multiple generations before they would even come to the land of Egypt. And yet God had said, this is exactly what is going to happen. How could it be that God would have known that? To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to their kids and grandkids, it must have seemed a far stretch. And yet this was the promise that God had made to them. And yet this is the hope that they had. Because they determined to see that what God said he would do, he absolutely would. And they did eventually move to Egypt, as we saw. And I want to tell you a little bit about this. Um, Why was it that Joseph got such a nice land? Karen, you're like this. <laughs> it's always, Karen always loves the, the backgrounds that are given to all these different things. You see, scholars think that back a long time ago, even though Egypt had a long na- time of being called Egypt and their rulers were always called Pharaoh, they thought that there were actually lots of different dynasties that were coming. It wasn't a stable nation that just always stayed the same with a single family line of rulers. Rather, it was a nation where another nation would come in and conquer it and become the rulers of Egypt, and the ruler would be called Pharaoh. And then another conquerors would be coming in, and they would take over Egypt, and their ruler would be called Pharaoh, and there would be different groups that would be coming in. And scholars have looked over, archaeologists have seen that they believe around the time that Joseph would have come, there was a, there were a minority of people who were in charge of Egypt that were small in number, but powerful, and they were from the same ethnic group as Jacob's family as Joseph. If this was the truth, then it makes perfect sense why Joseph would have been accepted to such a high position of leadership. Because you would want support of other people from your ethnic group. And when the family comes in, it would make sense to give them some of the best land of Egypt to show them favor. But as time went on, as the history of Egypt continued on, This didn't stay the case. Other rulers would come in. Other groups would conquer this land. And they wouldn't always have the support of the rulers. And we read about this in Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 6. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new came and came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He had said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. Most likely here, if you're wondering about, well, was this just like the the pharaohs who was Joseph Sr., like great-great-great-grandson, who was like, oh, what are these guys doing here? More likely, it was a new group that had come and conquered Israel and taken over power and then looked and seen there's a really large group of people who are from the old regime. 
who are from the old dynasty, the old set of rulers, and they are probably not going to be very friendly to us. And so this this people group, descendants of the, the mythic Joseph who had saved Egypt from ruin so long ago, this Israel, this group of people who were given some of the best land in Egypt and who was large enough to be a nation unto itself, too numerous for exile, too powerful to ignore an enemy within their borders, this Pharaoh decided, we have to do something. This isn't just coming up with a random story. This is actual history. These are things that actually happened to a nation of one nation interacting with another nation, essentially its borders. And so what happened? In verse 11, we see the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So, the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. What do we have here? We have one nation taking an ethnic group and based on their race and their ethnicity, turning them into slaves, treating them brutally. You know what? I I was working through this and thinking through this, and I, I realized this is not all that different than something that happened in our own nation's history, isn't it? Turning an entire ethnic racial group into a class of slaves that is mistreated and abused. But they had a specific effort for this, a specific hope. They had hoped that by taking this nation of Israel and abusing them, enslaving them, mistreating them, that somehow these people would be crushed. They would lose their spirits and they would eventually become smaller and less troublesome. But that isn't what happened. Because you see, this nation that Egypt began to oppress was one that had been blessed by God. One that God said would be the nation through which the Messiah would come. One that would grow and increase in number. And so they did exactly what God said they would do, and they grew larger and bigger. And what happens if, what happens if a little kid is, uh, like a, a bully to a little younger kid and he bullies him for his whole life but then they grow up and suddenly the little kid grows up and is suddenly bigger than you well it's really hard and it becomes intimidating that's what's going on with egypt as this nation continued to grow and grow they found themselves not in a spiral that got easier and israel became less of a problem but they found that the more they oppressed them the more israel this larger and larger nation was resenting them and the problem was spiraling out of control. So they had no choice at eventually, this nation, but to treat them so harshly that Israel's spirit was nearly broken. What does this matter for your life and for mine? This is another nation that lived about 3,500 years ago. Why do we need this history lesson? 
because God uses stories of how he talks to and interacts with other people and other people groups to speak to you and to me today. The story of Israel is very much linked to the story of us. Why? Because we're Israel? I'm actually not sure about that. But we do share the same God. The same God who doesn't change. We saw Israel at two separate points in time. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, Israel had, was on top of the world. The second in command of Egypt was the, one of their fathers. And they had been given the best land. They had the favor of the rulers of Egypt. They were on top of things. Thirteen verses later, they were abused. They were mistreated. They were enslaved. They had dropped as far as they could drop. Tell me. Well, you don't have to actually tell me with your words. Had God ever changed? Had God ever been caught by surprise? Had God ever come to a point where he said, Oh no, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know how I'll be able to get things out of this mess. Israel, why didn't you leave when you had the chance? Now things are so terrible, I don't know if I can fix things anymore. Did that ever happen? Absolutely not. Because we have a God who is strong to save. We have a God who is powerful. And that is what we're going to be learning about as we work our way through this series. Because we are going to have a chance not only to meet Israel, but we are going to have a chance to see a God in action for the first time in history who is acting in a specific way to reveal himself in a particular manner. We talk about the God who saves now, 3,500 years after the Exodus, as, as just kind of a common catchphrase. There are certain things that within the church we feel we know about. But at the time of Exodus, at the time of Exodus chapter 1 verse 14 where we just read, God was not known as this. God was simply... God who had made the world, caused a flood, dispersed languages, and then made some promises to their forefather. They didn't know anything about God other than that. And so what I want you to do as we work our way through this series is to try to open fresh eyes as we look at our God. Not to see God through the eyes of everything we know about the whole rest of the Bible, but to try to enter into seeing God through the eyes of this nation that not only was oppressed, but also doesn't know who their God is. Let's give you a hint. We are going to, over the course of this series, find God to be a God who remembers. We'll find Him to be a God who reveals by his personal name, I am. He will reveal himself as the God above all gods. 
which in today's secular, almost atheistic culture doesn't mean nearly as much as it did back then when there were other gods who actually displayed power and were able to perform miracles. False gods. That was a big deal. We will see God to be a mighty warrior. We will see a God who provides. We will see God to be a God who is our banner, who gives us victory. And when we see these things, what I call on you to do, what I ask you to do is see these things through fresh eyes. That's why I'm stopping at chapter 1, verse 14, with an Israel who is oppressed and abused humiliated and broken. Because that is the setting for everything else that we are going to be learning about who our God is and what He does. As we're starting off this new year, there are things that you and I don't know about God. However long we have lived, however much we have read the Bible, perhaps cover to cover, there are things you and I may have heard, we may have learned about, we may even be able to talk about, but there are things about God that you don't know, that you just don't yet understand in the depths of your heart. We talk about New Year's resolutions of things that we're going to be doing things to to make more money, to become more healthy, to uh, to take more time to relax or to to become more efficient in our work or develop new relationships or whatever it might be. We all have our New Year's resolutions. But I think one of the best prayers, not resolutions, prayers, requests of God that we can make is as we come into our new year to say, God, Please show me something over the course of 2019. Please, please reveal yourself to me in a way that I have never understood you before. So that my relationship with you, my understanding of you can be richer, can be deeper, can be more meaningful. Because compared to everything else we do, all the relationships we develop, all the money that we get, all the health that we maintain or retain or get, all the, the pounds that we shed, all that's going to go away eventually. But your understanding of God, it will stay with you forever. It will be one of the best things that you can walk away from this next with. So let's make that our prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just like Israel did not fully know you. They didn't understand who you were. They didn't have a real relationship with you. They didn't know you as God, our banner. They didn't know you as the God who remembers or the God who saves. All these things that, that we have heard, they had never even heard before. I am so excited, God, to be learning about how you revealed yourself to this nation, to this people group. How you showed yourself to be faithful and true. And God, I ask today that for each of us, 
you would be working in our hearts and in our minds so that we will have a hunger to know you more deeply. To know you in a way that just reaches in to our souls and just fills a hole where we had not known you in this matter. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you, our appreciation of you. Help us to grow in our adoration and our worship of you. Help us to start this year on the right foot, chasing after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.